when it comes to zombie lore, it is debatable that the best have already been written. And I say debatable because I am a complete fan of creativity. And I think that the best is subjective to the viewer or the reader. So I'm going to hold out hope that there are some that might be able to reinvent the wheel as it were. But if it takes the form that it usually takes, creating a good zombie series really only consists of making sure your wheel looks good. And the way that you can ensure that your wheel looks good is to fill it with decorum that has an it factor. Black Summer has an it factor. And I don't know if the producers intentionally did this, but it did it for me. So I'm going to do something not really that different from what I always do when I present a show or a book to you guys or a movie um, is that this episode and probably the other episodes associated with it just depends on my mood. I am going to direct it at the creators of the shows because from what I am seeing all across the internet and in just the culture as it stands right now when it comes to entertaining that celebrities and these producers and these people who think that they are so important they are really trying to be joe schmo as much as they possibly can meaning they want to be like us because they think it lends them some kind of white not white blue collar credibility like that makes them cool for us to really think that they do what we do in their mansions. But I'm going to direct that this much of this commentary toward them. But you bookies, you hold the first place in my heart. So please do not feel like I am kicking you to the to the side and treating you like the redheaded stepchild. But I'm going to let these people know what they actually did right and what they didn't do right. Or what didn't work for me. Let's put that like that. So, Black Summer is a Netflix show. And it is a series that consists of two seasons. And because I had never watched this, I'm going to start at the top of the season. And I'm glad I did it that way. Now, for me, when I look at a show, I only vote... I don't want to say I only focus on the the main characters, but when it comes to giving you a hot take on it, I'm going to give you the only two people that matter, okay? And so that's Jamie King, who is propositioned as the lead, who is the person propositioned as the one that the story is based around. And the second one is Justin Chu Carey. Now, if I was going to be unfair, I would have just said that Justin True Carey is the only one that I care about, but I had never heard of him before. And Jamie King is going to give you a reference for, you know, what she looks like, let's just say. But Justin True Carey, anybody who listens to this podcast, if you remember um, my obsession, I guess, is it an obsession, guys? I don't know if it's that, but uh dylan o'brien okay well i just found it in justin true carry yes okay so i'm trying to behave number one and the second thing i'm trying to do is to give you the story and not get too ahead of myself okay so we got jamie king um is a mother in this story and she is somewhere simmering in 30 hood and she's got a daughter She's got a husband. And if you want to know the setting of this zombie flick, it is basically 2021 with zombies. That's the setting, okay? So it's obvious from the way that the house is set up, the daughter is literally going through an apocalypse drill, okay? When the warning sign sirens go off, you know, 
the warning sirens that go off when there is a thunderstorm in your area and they're saying there's a tornado watch you know that scary ass voice that gets on the loudspeaker wherever the hell they are around town and scare the hell out of you until you hear him say something like this is just a test that one so the siren goes off the family have their preparedness uh drill down itself it's not a drill it's the real deal they grab their backpacks they slap them on their backs and they start running they start running and they're joining their other neighborhood folk now i do not know about you but for me this is just for bookie i'm not going where everybody else is going because it's a trap if you ask me but we're going to pretend like i don't know this so they're running 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 because apparently they must know that what they need to do is make it to these checkpoints in order to get to this damn checkpoint they have to go to this military let's say vehicle where they make the people line up and patiently get on there they're going off they're cussing them out telling them wait in line shut up you know what's your name basically doing their little checks before they let people on these military grade trucks so jamie king in her first faux pas of many she somehow allows the daughter how old is the daughter daughter is about 11 she allows the daughter to get on this damn truck without her and dad that's strike number one. First of all I would probably be having my 11 year old strapped to my back like my book bag. That's how hard I would want to ensure my baby is safe because I know I do not have time for this. Okay, we do not have time for this. So there's a problem because when the husband is getting frisked, the military personnel realizes that uh-uh, you a little bit too tender. What the hell's wrong with you? So he makes him take off his book bag. And he makes him unbutton his shirt. And he's got on two shirts. And I'm not talking about a shirt and a t-shirt like most men wear. I'm talking about a, a shirt and a shirt. Like, that's just like wearing a business shirt and another business shirt underneath. That was like the first signal that your ass is, is dying. So, he takes it off and he shows him. Doesn't have a choice but to show him the gauze that's bloody from some kind of... I don't know. It doesn't show us what happened to him. But he's got some damn abdomen injury that's bleeding and probably infected and he can barely run and all this kind of stuff so he's like um no you're not getting on the truck so mayhem starts to ensue and it, i guess it has to for the plot because jamie king and the husband have to um number one be able to get away without them gunning him down because in this world as in every zombie apocalypse you know that the last thing you want to do is be bitten because you're going to what you're going to turn now i don't know if it was a bite because you know i don't know but as a result of the military guy seeing that uh-uh you uh-uh you're not getting on here they all get scared the military guys and decide that you know what if you're not on this truck too bad so they all skirt off and they skirt off with the 11 year old on the truck and jamie's like no oh no my daughter so they have to run and they go into this random person's house and the um husbands is you know they make it to this bedroom and they sit down and you know they have to do their little goodbye speech because it's pretty obvious that the, the dad's not gonna make it um and he's like um her name is rose the, the jamie's name is rose and it's like, I'm not going to make it, but you have to go and you have to get our daughter. And Rose is like, no, no, you have to do it. No, you have to go. So, you know, she she is basically having a live funeral for the husband and they're hugging and they're caressing and kissing and basically saying goodbye without saying goodbye. And she gets up to go get him a cup of water. She gets up to get the cup of water. She hears some shuffling. She goes around the house to see what the hell and it's like an 85 year old woman in the back just sitting there helplessly because obviously she can't run when the damn sirens go off so she sees that it's her she goes back to the kitchen and she hears shuffling again except this time the husband has turned because he died and she has to get a knife and he starts to well actually she got the knife to survey the area and found the old lady but she still has a knife when the husband turns and you know she really can't bring herself to kill him but she has to run away because he is just a zombie now 
So she's running, 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 and she gets to this fence, and she's climbing the fence, and the husband's grabbing at her and all of this stuff, and he starts to get shot in the shoulder area. And who is he being shot by? Now, you can tell by the change of my voice that you know he is being shot by Justin Chu. Carrie, and his name is Julius James in the episode. Now, by now, they don't really say his name. I don't even hear them say his name, but his name is Justin Chu. And I think he might be Justin Chu, like, from here on out for me, because you know how I am with names, right? So, Justin Chu shoots him, guys. Okay, okay. So, Justin Chu shoots him. Jamie's on top of the fence. It's barbed wire and everything. So, she gets down. She turns around walks not walks hurls herself into justin and hugs him like how does she hug him guys she hugs him like she would have hugged her husband for saving her life from a zombie this is a total stranger she is like thank you and i said it out loud when i was watching it i said oh my gosh this is what I call insta-love. Now, I am used to shows with insta-love, but it's usually a little bit more ambiguous than that. I have never really seen an insta-love be so okay. Like, I have never seen an insta-love moment be so appropriate and nonsensical. But it was so nonsensical that it was it made sense. Because if you think about it, her going and hugging him hard like that, was her saying, thank you for saving my life. I was scared to death. And it also said, you know, she's desperate to find this daughter. And it's like, please help me find my daughter. I will do anything, please. But thank you for, you know. So when he walked, before she, when the pan, the the, the camera panned on Justin for the first time, I was like, oh, he is cute. Why? Because he has like two, he has double piercings, like, a piercing in the left and the right ear and their little micro black cheater plugs and i just thought i don't know why i thought to myself now this portion is for the creators i was like that is cute it, it, there are details that are really just they don't matter to the average viewer but people like me that kind of thing brought me in just you guys putting those earrings on him that was good and for me guys who wear earrings like that to me or trying to be attractive. And I like that. So they hug. And she's able to convince him to help me. And he reluctantly accepts. It's like he accepts and he's reluctant. But at the same time. The way she is just mashing herself into him. I was like oh my god. Uh, welcome to your new man. Please let this happen. Now I know this is a first season. And I know that. Oh, let me keep going. So, he, um, she, he decides to help her. So, they immediately, what do they do? Band together. They tag team each other. Then there's another character that we are introduced to. And that character is Ryan. What they're doing is like, they will show Rose's story. And before they show her story, they'll put her name on the screen. Rose in white lettering in a black backdrop. And then the they'll show her, her story for about 10 minutes. And then they'll show another person's story. I did like that approach. I think that that approach really helps you to laser in on what you need to accomplish in that scene. It helps you to focus. And it doesn't distract you where you feel like you have to tell all the stories at one time. So creators, I like that approach. I was not exhausted. Not right then and there with that approach. I kind of like that. And it it really did help me to connect to those characters. I do have to say that in the first episode, the pilot episode, obviously, when the husband was dying, that scene was a little bit too long because I didn't care about the husband. And Jamie, Jamie King, she's a um, well-known actress, but she wasn't really selling the grief because I didn't care about the husband. I don't even know what the husband's name was. They probably said it, but I didn't care because I didn't have enough time to connect to him. And that whole scene was just super cringe. I'm just letting you guys know that until you guys established anything with the, like seriously, once you establish some kind of rapport with a character, then I can care about them dying. So 
we meet Ryan. Ryan is a Oh, let me describe Justin Chu. Why am I playing with you guys? I'm not trying to play with y'all. Okay, so he is um a black guy. Yes. And for the creators, you know what? I know you guys cannot help yourselves, but ruin shows. That is almost part of the job description of show producers nowadays. But this is a black guy I want to follow. To me, he is a hero. I don't know what it is about his him. He is a hero. I don't know. It's something about, like I said, the it factor. He has got the it factor. And it's like when you see him, you're like, damn, I want to be in his group when it goes down. He is going to protect me. We are not going to die. I don't know why, but I don't think we are going to die with Julius or whatever his name is in the show. So good job. You guys picked a good guy. He does not wear his race on his sleeve. Another thing y'all like to do. Now, we all know you're going to wear your skin color on your sleeve, but not right now. He is just Julius and he's not even Julius yet because when you realize his backstory, which I'm going to get to now, he is walking through town with two, three soldiers and it's like he's been arrested. He's some kind of criminal. His like half of his face. And that's another thing. Hey, when you got the it factor, you can have a damn swollen eye, which he does like not totally rocky swollen, but like underneath the bottom lid there's some swelling and he's got a couple lacerations to his face a little blood on his face a little something across the bridge of his nose you know but he's so attractive that that doesn't really distract from his face being nice to look at so he's being escorted by these three and they stop at this house and the military personnel force the people out and say you got to evacuate so they take them in there i don't know if this is military police I don't know. We don't know what his backstory is, which is good. I like this. I like a lot of the ambiguity that's in the show about like, how the hell did these people get here and do this? I like that. You guys did a good job with that because you're only telling what matters. So they go in the house and the leader of the trio is like, you sit here, you um, Spears. Spears is the army personnel that he leaves to guard over him while the other two go and kick rocks. Who knows what the fuck, why they leave. But I'm thinking to myself, do not leave Jason Justin in there by himself because he look like he know how to escape. And that's exactly what the hell he did. He kicked that cold game at Spears to the point where he had Spears thinking that he knew where some money was. And that's the reason why the commander had him, you know, under his control and you know, why do you think they kept me alive? Because I'm an important, I must know something or have something they want. And he turns around and he looks at them and he's like, damn, you are spitting that cold game. You are so right. And so, um, Justin pretends like he has to go to the bathroom and the soldier tries to get him to go in the corner. But, um, Justin's like, I cannot go in the corner like this. Can we go in the bathroom? And he's like, okay. So he holds him at gunpoint and everything. When he gets him in the bathroom right where he wants him, he beats his ass with some cuffs on and takes his uniform and takes his gun and goes out into the peril of this neighborhood. And this is how he rolls up on Jamie King, a.k.a. Rose, and rescues her from her damn husband. So, Justin is very much so a person you want to save you in this. And I know Jamie is the star. Rose is the star of the show. But J Julius has so much charisma that I loved every scene that he was in. And it's not just because he's easy on the eyes. It's that his delivery of his lines was so realistic. He... You just don't ever really look, feel like you're watching somebody who's acting, which you guys did a good job with almost everybody on this show. I never felt like, damn, these people are trying too hard. So we get to a person called Ryan and his he is an Arab young guy. He looks like he's anywhere between, let's say 18 and 22. And he notices that there's a woman who has been abandoned in the middle of the street who looks like she's dying. But when she turned, obviously, you know, her, the guy that she was with kind of ran away because he knew what was going to happen. 
But Justin having the, the heart that's too damn big, not Justin, but um Ryan, he went over there to, to check on her. And she was dying in the throes of death. And his heart is so big that he didn't realize, he doesn't seem to realize that he was in peril. And that's when he is kind of rescued by Sun or Sun Kyung Sun or Oh Kung Kyung Sun. Oh, oh Kyung Sun is one of the characters that you guys, as the creators of the show now, you guys did not do a good job on her. And I say that because she would have been so, it's like this. They don't give us her backstory at all right away. But we do see her efforts to save Ryan. She takes Ryan immediately under her wings and runs and rips through town and rescues them. And they're going to the checkpoint because, again, everybody's just trying to get to this damn checkpoint. So she runs and runs and runs with Ryan and kind of keeps him out of trouble. Oh, Kyung Sun. I do not like Oh Kyung Sun's character because she's hard to watch. And I'll tell you why. She is hard to watch because she has no grasp at all of the English language. And I can understand and accept that she doesn't speak any English, that she doesn't speak a lot of English. She's not fluent in English. But what I can't understand through my years of study of the Korean language I'm not going to say I'm fluent in it how could I but from a lot that I have studied even people who still live in Korea they know some survival English by that I mean hi bye thank you no yes toilet you know those survival phrases and words that will get the job done she doesn't seem to even understand those either from hearing or speaking them and I thought that was just super incongruous and I thought that that was just so odd another thing that I thought was even worse than that is that she cannot speak Korean well what do I mean by that is if I spoke Korean when I'm practicing that I have a deep accent because I am not Korean, obviously, but I speak it as someone who is not as familiar with the language as somebody who, you know, lived there. I can tell that Kristen Lee, the person, there's her real name, she cannot be Korean, not a Korean who lives in, not a Korean who lives, um, in South Korea and now I'm realizing that she's got to live in North Korea and I'm seeing that you know what now that I think back on that it makes sense why she can't speak any English because if you live in North Korea nine times out of ten the isolation that they have to live in disallows you from having too much experience speaking any other language than the one you speak so now that i am thinking out loud i will give her a pass but what i won't give her a pass about is the speech not understanding english and not being able to speak english i'm okay but this is the thing you can tell that she was someone or is someone who korean is her first language there are so many k-dramas on netflix you guys could have borrowed a Korean actress and got the job done. She would have had to learn zero English, even though she would have known some survival English at minimum. And the sound of her Korean would have been more authentic. I felt like when she was speaking Korean, that I could pull the Korean off better than like that. I would have better tone than she did. And that should not, I should not have felt like if I would have been on the show, and I had to speak some Korean that I would have sound more convincing than she would. So that character right there, I don't know. Um, another thing is, since she's obviously a North Korean and she defected, obviously is what they call them, defectors. Um, 
it made it would make sense that she would be in South Korea, but to get all the way to the U.S. is another interesting factoid because okay, you got to South Korea, all right, but you got to the U.S. and you can't speak English. Like, how did you? You know, it's just so. It is just so interesting to see them put a character on the show who doesn't speak Korean as their first language when they could have easily gotten one and the Korean would have sounded better. But I suppose they would have just banked on most of their listenership being a Western audience since it's a Canadian show and that they would have picked up how off her Korean was, but I did. So, you know, that, that really bothered me. Um, so there's another character and her name is Barbara. Barbara is an older woman. Let's see how old Barbara is. Barbara is probably in her late sixties and for all of her being able to survive for six weeks since her husband passed away, she's a little naive because she allows a guy to get in her, to game her up and kind of talk his way into her van. And the only reason she saved is because a line worker, um, was able to intervene and he beat the guy up and was able to kind of save the day. His name was, um, William Velez. He was a good guy. I have to put a note in here because I thought the same thing about William Velez. Number one, Julius or Justin Ju has gorgeous teeth, beautiful teeth. I don't know why. I just, this is just a little detail, gorgeous teeth. Um, Velez, gorgeous white teeth. I thought his teeth looked great. I mean, I just, I liked his teeth. I don't know why. But nevertheless, um, he saves the day and he picks her up. And along the way, because I, because I am reviewing episodes one through three, so I'm going to mush them all together. Um, at some point he picks, they pick up son who they, um, take on as their third passenger um son they get to this checkpoint and son is the only person who can kind of wriggle around the the soldiers who are trying to block this fenced bridge she's the only one that's able to kind of break the barrier first she kind of slips through them and wiggles and gets kind of wild so she gets separated from ryan ryan ends up being taken in by rose and julius and then they have another person that they kind of roll with and um, another white guy that's in their group. And so that's how Son ends up in the car with Velez and Barbara. Son's time in the car with Velez and Barbara is an interesting one. They are really trying their best to make their way to again to a checkpoint that they have to drive through but Barbara makes a point that people told me that it was safer walking than it was on the road because they have a lot of little misadventures on the road there's a mysterious car following them and Barbara um not Barbara but son supposes or guesses correctly that they want the gas somehow she's able to communicate that um barbara struggles to be able to read a map but son who cannot speak any english and who could not understand any any english can read the map again another incongruence i mean even if she was from south korea it would make sense that she can read the map but rose can't so she takes the map and he goes down the street and you know son is like an oracle Everything that she says, even though she can't speak a drop of English or understand it, is right. She turns, she ends up being right about probably everything that she says in the car. She kind of gestures that, look, Velez, don't go down this street. They just start driving down a neighborhood street. And before they can get to the end of that street, they get assaulted by a group of people who pretend to be nice. But then, you know, when they reject them, they pull out clubs and you know, two by fours and all that kind of stuff and run after them. Well, there's a black SUV that has been following them the entire time. But what will happen is ever since son noticed them and then Velez looked out his window and saw that it was true. The truck has been kind of sneaking and following them. Well, they come to a point where now they're right behind them at this stop sign. 
And Velez hesitates for so long that he has to drive off or else it's like, are we going to sit here the entire time? And the truck kind of rolls up on him and tries to intimidate him and, you know, gets in front of him and brake checks him and stuff. And Velez just decides that, you know, I have had it. He is a line worker. He is probably in his early 50s. He has a child and a, a family in another state with his sister. And so he's desperately trying to get to them. But you can tell that Velez is definitely a blue collar worker, but he is somebody that you can tell has gotten his hands dirty in his young life and he will not be punked. So the guy that's following him at first makes him afraid, but then I guess the thug in him kicks in and he is like, you got me messed up. And he starts to roll up to him on the side and it's like, pull your window down, pull over. I will beat your ass, get out and all this kind of stuff. He's kind of matching him, you know, um, attitude for attitude. He's not going to be a bitch. He's not going to go out like a bitch. So they're driving, driving, driving. They're drag racing down this street because it's no longer the black truck following them. It's him trying to catch up to the black truck so he can beat them down. So they're driving, driving, speeding, speeding, speeding. And Velez is so concentrated on this truck that Son has to just scream for him to stop. Now, before he starts drag racing with this black truck, he tells Son, put your seatbelt on. But unfortunately, he did not pass the memo to Barb in the back seat because by the time Son is done screaming and Velez figures out what he is about to do, which is slam into a concrete medium, Barbara is catapulted out of the car. Now, I did not cry over Barb's death, but I felt bad for her. Why? Because they had established her as a character and I had spent some time with her. So that worked. Um, Velez, he kind of injures himself a little bit, but he doesn't die. The Korean woman injures herself, but doesn't die. But she does get out and run. The Korean woman is great at running. And now that I think about it even deeper... It makes sense why she's so good at running and getting away. Because for you to be able to get out of North Korea, your ass better be able to run. So they run and her and the guy, they make it into this diner. And they end up um, actually because both of them crash. Meaning Belez's minivan that they're in and the black truck. And a couple, maybe one of the two of the people die in the, the black truck. But for the most part. Uh, the other three or four people that were in there make it and they climb out. Now, Son and Velez, they run into this abandoned diner and Son is ready to close the door. Another moment of, of oracleness from her. But Velez lets every last one of those people that were just chasing him to kill him inside. Yes. So that's kind of where they leave Son for a while so that they can turn the story back to Rose, Julius, Ryan, and the white guy. His name fails me. I wish I could remember. I don't know if his name is Kelsey. I think his name might be Kelsey. He's a young man, curly, um, sandy, sandy blonde hair. And he's a bit of like a, I don't want to say a hipster, but he's more like a, just like a, he's like a early, maybe late 20s guy and there's really nothing special about him except that he gets connected to the right group he is strong in his own own way but he annoys everybody except the the deaf guy in some way i have to make a point about the deaf guy whose name is can i find his name um mustafa alabishi okay um, but his name in the show is Ryan. Ryan is so sweet. I feel like Ryan is sweet. He is completely deaf and Jamie projects. I'm going to call her Rose so I don't continue to confuse you guys. Rose projects her protective maternalness to Ryan. I mean, when she takes him under her wing, she takes him under her wing completely. She does everything she can to sign to him she doesn't know sign language but she does gesturing like anybody else would to try to get him to understand um he is prone to do things that don't make any sense so even though he can't hear he does seem to have a little bit of a delay because it's like wait a minute ryan i know you can't hear anything but you can see what's going on why would you just sit there with a person who's about to turn into a zombie and kill you like i don't know if they tried to paint the picture that his heart is so big that he just 
does things absentmindedly or if he just has a little bit of a delay. So they make it into this school, basically the elementary school. And they're walking around the elementary school and it is a good setting. Directors and creators, you guys did a good job of selecting a very creepy place that you would not want to find yourself in. A school with all the lights out during the middle of the zombie apocalypse is extremely creepy territory and it was well done and it has been used many times and that's the reason why it is a creepy ass setting. So you guys did that well. The first thing that they do when they get in there is Julius goes and he looks for first aid. Again, the hero. He is always three steps ahead of what everybody else is doing. It's like he already has like a mental blueprint of what needs to be done, who's going to do it, how it's going to be done. And I don't even know why I said who's going to do it, how it's going to be done, because he tells everybody what the hell is about to happen. When the, the curly-haired white guy gets on his nerves, he tells him to shit the you-know-what up. Um, He does not have time to babysit your feelings. He does not care about you not understanding the program. You're going to understand the program. He has... The, he's the only person with a gun and as such he just takes on an automatic leadership role that the other three are beyond happy to comply with so he goes to the nurse's office and he wipes it out as best as he can and he hands the supplies off to the curly haired um guy and they continue to make their way through the school he makes them split up despite what they want to do he is like look you two go over there since you love ryan so much take his ass with you i'm gonna take the curly haired with me we will reconvene back in the band room they go they, they meet back in the band room and rose and ryan end up i guess they go into the principal's office because they find a box of lost and found clothes and can i make a note here what a nice scavenge. I don't know why just seeing that box of lost and found and seeing those supplies come from the nurse's office, it just filled me with a sense of safety or comfort because everybody knows about that damn box of random hats and gloves and scarves that always piles up in the school and nobody ever comes to claim it. How nice that those things were able to be discovered and will be used without a doubt so jamie not jamie jamie king but rose and um julius task themselves with being kind of the watch people they let poor ryan ryan like i said ryan is is so sweet you want to protect him you want him to be protected you want him to win and it's not that you want him to win because you want him to fight for himself, but you want people to protect him. Like you want to protect him yourself. He's cute. He, you just don't want to see anything happen to Ryan. Ryan is a good character that you guys set up nicely to, to play on the emotions. So good job with that. Um, so they make their way through the school and Julius decides that cause he's the leader. He decides that, um, we don't need to keep staying here. We're going to keep moving. And unfortunately, Ryan sees a little kid. A little kid that looks like he's about seven or something. And he's kind of running through the hallway. And they kind of keep hearing this sound. Like, help me, please. And it's like crying. So they come to their first ethical dilemma or some shit. Where Rose is like, wait a minute, wait a minute because julius is like we are leaving because and they're like you can't leave that kid and he is like okay watch what i'm about to do and jamie's like wait a minute don't leave jamie slash rose yeah and she's like wait a minute hold on 
And she, so she's the diplomat. She's trying to compromise and stuff. And she's like, look, okay, this is what we're going to do. Since we are already on our way out the door, what we will do is we will do a full case of every floor on our way to the exits and then we'll leave. If we don't see the little guy, then we'll leave. And Julius, against his better judgment, is like, okay, now, let me say something right here. I know for a fact that Julius did not want to stay, but he knows that I ship him and Rose so hard that... I interpreted him staying as him doing it to please Rose. Yes. <laughs> because I feel like at this point, he will do what Rose wants him to do because Rose wants him to do it already. Yes, insta love. So she and Ryan, they they split up into their factions again, which I don't know if I liked them doing that. But it wasn't more, it wasn't a cringe. It was just more of a, okay, here we go with the plot. Because when you're a victim of plot, you can't do anything about it. So they split up her and Ryan going to look for the little boy. And they make it to like, let's say the um, locker room for the, you know, the locker room that you have that's by the um, showers and stuff for when you're going to do swimming in school. They end up in there and it smells like rotting flesh because that's exactly what they find is just bodies all mutilated and splayed out and rotting. So they, I don't, that part was a little cringe directors because you guys did not have to have them walk all the way in there. Would they have found a living boy in there with some rotting flesh? I don't think so. So I don't know why you made them keep going in there. You also made Jamie throw up, which was okay, but you made her also sit down on the floor and just kind of just kind of marinate in the death and she would have just ran right back out of there that didn't make sense okay so you don't have to you didn't have to have her dwell in there for as long as you did because i don't think any other human being would have been able to do that so they go back out and they're still on the hunt for the little boy while they're in these varied places in the school it becomes evident to them that some other things are afoot namely the fact that when they start to go in different places now they start to find that they can't get out so for instance jamie um not jamie rose rose ends up following her hunches all the way to a restroom and in this restroom it's like wow i finally find him found him and his little cute little voice is like please save me help me please by this point the viewers know that it's not a little boy it's actually a recording that they have on a loudspeaker kind of strapped to the toilet so she discovers this and realizes omg i have been had so she goes back to the door and that door has been booby trapped to lock when she goes inside julius and the the curly haired white guy they are not having the kind of luck that they need to have either because everywhere that they go they are having these kind of traps to the point that the white guy, he ends up kind of, and what is his name, y'all? Because I want to be kind of Kelsey. Okay, so Kelsey. So Kelsey trips off a booby trap that Julius notices and tries to like, hey, don't do it. So he did it and a bang goes off and he and Julius are separated by a door closing and locking on them. Everything comes to a head when they realize that not only is there a little boy that is in there that needs to be saved, but there is an entire society in here. The first thing that I thought of when I saw this was Lord of the Flies, because these little boys that ended up confronting our group of folks, um, they live in the school and not only live in the school, like going to classroom and hide under the desk. No. They have literally set up shop, literally in the shop classroom. They are in there welding and damn uh, sparks flying, they wood cutting and somebody over there making this and that. And, you know, they, they got a leak. I mean, they have a system. It's the Lord of the Flies. So they, um, they kidnap Ryan along the way and they are going to negotiate with him as their hostage in order to get their way. 
And it all comes to a head when they are confronted by the group, meaning our zombie survivors are confronted by the Lord of the Flies. And they're like, um, give us your gun. Now, uh, again, Rose, she is just got some kind of hold over Julius because she not only tries to get him to stop, she steps her body in front of the gun, knowing that he won't shoot. And she is like, give him the gun. What difference does it make? We have to save Ryan. And, you know, he doesn't want Ryan to die. But Julius is the hero. And the hero always knows it's a bad idea to ever give up your weapon. So the little boy that they saw running through there is a real person. A little seven-year-old little thing that they have to do their dirty work. So they take the hood off of their friend that they have captured and Rose is a mess because it's like, please do not do anything to him. And she is like, we will give you our gun when you give us him, you know, when you give him back to us. So they're like, okay, but don't give him back. Some wires get crossed in there and the little seven-year-old is tasked with killing folks. So he shoots um, the Arab little kid, the not the little kid, but Ryan is... He almost looks like he's a teenager or a very, very early 20s. You just want to protect him. And they shoot him and he dies. And Rose is over with because in a few hours, she has grown to love Ryan like he is her son. And you can tell she's just projecting because she cannot execute any of this maternalness on anybody right now because she can't find her child. So... The little boys are pursuing them and they've booby trapped the entire school where it locks from the inside. So the entire time, Rose and Julius have not been able to get out. I don't remember seeing the curly hair guy, Kelsey, die. I don't remember that he died, unfortunately. And actually, I don't even think it's a memory thing. I don't recall seeing him die. But that's the beauty of this show is that, like, at this point, we don't know what the heck. Look, Julius could be a complete criminal. And the way they are lining this up for him and Rose to be a thing, he can be a criminal all day long for me. You know, I, I don't think they're going to have him doing nothing crazy, nothing totally wild, where it's just like, okay, y'all playing with me. But I don't care what, I do not care. I have already shipped him and that girl, so it's too late now in my brain. But, um, so they're banging on the door, they're beating on the door, and somehow the door just magically opens. They don't question it, though, and I find that curious because that's crazy. And when I say they're beating on the door, once they kill the guy, the, the Arab young man, Lord of the Flies gang runs because they know better. So they run to a part of the wood shop. They have a arena that they have set up. They put up some kind of fencing so that because they knew the way that they rigged the school that um, Rose and Julius would have to run a certain way in order to fight this fresh zombie they just made. And the little boys... They are over there watching it like it's the gladiators. They're like, rah, yeah, get them. It's like a game to them. These little boys are gone. So they fight, they fight, they fight. The one thing I don't like about Julius, <laughs> which is so crazy, he cannot shoot to save his life in a literal sense. He cannot shoot. He cannot hit his target for anything. He shoots and shoots and shoots and he wastes so many, he wastes probably every, he wastes so many bullets trying and failing to shoot Ryan and kill him. Because you know, with a zombie, you have to, it's, it's a, the kill shot is always the brain. So you might as well just lure them as close as you can to them if you are a shitty shot and get them in the head. Julius does not do this. He keeps shooting him in the arm, the leg, the abdomen, the toe, you know, the pinky, everything. But he cannot get the kill shot. And he, I don't know if he ever does. He is that bad. At, he, he did better off giving them the gun because that's how effective he was at shooting. And he actually did the same thing with Rose's husband. It took him about five shots to shoot the husband. Now, I hope later in this story, 
Julius is actually like a um freaking math scholar or something. This explains why he can't shoot for a damn nothing because what criminal can't shoot the damn gun? I mean, come on. So they get out. They don't question it because they're so frantic to get away from their fresh friend who's a zombie. And it's interesting because when they leave by this, let's say this older man who's in his what good and in his 50s, um, who's got that I survive shit professionally look, um, he rescues them and takes them through, you know, the parking lot of the bus, the bus parking lot. But before the scene closes and the end of the episode, um, the little seven year old boy, he takes the wooden door stopper and he wedges it between the door, which was another very nice, comforting uh, prop because everybody remembers that little fucking wooden stopper when they were in elementary school that kept the doors open and shit. I don't know if they still use that, but I don't know why. It just filled me with nostalgia or something, but little stuff like that goes a long way. So he put another one of those in the door and you can tell that the professional survivor is doing nothing but leading them to more to more tragedy more more danger so that'll conclude season one episodes one through three of black summer i really look forward to finishing this series because as you can tell i'm really i'm, I'm having fun with it and everybody that knows me on bookie knows why i'm having fun and why is that because of the ship i see love in the air and they already look cute together. Let me let me tell you some stuff that looks good. Like he kind of, you know, he will, you know, pull her her back by the hand. You know, if you're holding hands with somebody, he'll kind of pull her back behind him to protect her. He'll, you know, he'll shoot somebody or he'll get away from a, a perilous situation and he'll go and grab her hand and take her away. Yes, I am swooning because that kind of stuff really gets it, it gets the job done. It, it's just subtle little stuff like this. And I have to say, it was really sad when Ryan, the deaf guy, died. I did not cry because his death his death was a little less dramatic than I envisioned it would be. I'm glad you guys did that because it would have been really sad had he died in a different kind of a way. It kind of happened fast. So I didn't have a chance to really feel really sorry for him. I'm glad you guys did it like that because... Ryan was already somebody like let me just say this he was such a sweet watchable character that I teared up watching I would I was more prone to tearing up watching him while he was alive than I did when he died I don't know if that makes sense but um yeah but can I give you guys a warning that I'm going to be devastated if Julius dies can Julius please make it to season two I'm trying my best. You know how Netflix is. You you scroll you scroll through there and you will just like ruin it if you kind of scroll too much because you'll see thumbnails of people and you know titles and stuff. And please can Justin please co-star this show with her because when and if he dies, I am going to be devastated and I don't know if I'll be able to continue on because I'm telling you, as much as Jamie King is as well known as Jamie King is, she is really not the compelling part of the story. It is Justin. And I just really hope that they don't kill him off.